We often hear entrepreneurs talk about converting their passion into a business. But when it comes to fine arts, it's not easy to create an experience that taps into a creative yearning that is both fun and entertaining for children and adults. But that's exactly what our guest Sue Wilkowski did when she opened Casa de Spin, an art studio on Long Island, New York. What makes her studio unique is the use of large format spin art machines that give even a novice the chance to be creative in a fun environment. Sue is a New York Tech alum, graduating with a Bachelor of Arts degree in 1985. Then she received her master's from Hofstra University and has decades of experience as both an art teacher and a children's book author. We'll discuss how her fascination with spin art, combined with her fine arts background and vast teaching experience, led her to open Casa de Spin in 2019. We'll discuss how she navigated the impact of COVID on her fledgling business and the need to pivot for survival and how tapping into your creativity is essential for any entrepreneur when confronting the inevitable problems in running a business. Sue, welcome to our podcast series. Oh, thanks, John, and thanks, New York Tech, for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here. I'm really excited about our interview, understanding your background, which I'm going to ask you to share in a moment with our listeners, and how you've taken the art form of spin art and developed a business around it. And really, it's a passion that you felt for quite some time. And then getting now into taking your entrepreneurial journey and opening a business for it. So let's talk a little bit about your background first. Sure. I've loved art from an early age. I was good at it. It came naturally to me. And I knew early on that I wanted to be an art teacher. I remember my elementary school art teacher rolling her cart into our classroom each week. And I would watch this and see all these beautiful supplies come in. And she would show us how to make these great things. And I thought, wow, that's just like the coolest thing. I'd love to do that one day. So I took a direct path to become an art teacher. I'm a graduate of New York Tech, where I studied both fine arts and education, and I received my Bachelor of Fine Arts degree there. I went on to earn my Master of Arts from Hofstra University, and right out of school began working as an art teacher at Hewlett High School. Additionally, I designed a comprehensive summer art program and was the art director there for 10 years. And most recently, I worked as an art teacher at a school for teens with high-functioning autism, which I loved. I love making art, and I love teaching art. So where did the passion for spin art come in? I remember the very first time I saw spin art. We were driving on a family vacation from New York to Florida on a family trip, which was a long drive. And so with three kids in the car, we were taking sort of breaks along the way. We stopped at this place called South of the Border, which I believe was just south of the North Carolina border. It's this fun, touristy kind of place. And we got out. And I was kind of walking around, and maybe I was seven or eight, and I saw it for the first time, and it was like this spin art booth. And it was complete magic to me. I just, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. I was able to make one, and it really was magical. And it was a childhood snapshot that stuck with me. That was the beginning. And it grew from there, and it stuck with me through years and years and years. I just always had a passion for spin art. It's interesting because I just completed a trip down to Florida. And yes, south of the border is still there, exactly where you say it is. <laughs> and uh, it's still a big tourist haven. But in terms of spin art, you know, here you were a fine arts major. Is spin yes. art fine art? 100% it's a fine art. I mean, it's got a history of being an important art form. And currently, just off the top of my head, uh, Damien Hurst is a spin artist shows his work in major galleries, museums all over the world. His art's been auctioned and sold for great deals of money. And actually, just a little side note, Ed Sheeran is a huge fan. 
of Damien Hirst, Ed Sheeran, the musician. And Ed Sheeran went to Damien Hirst's art studio hmm. and where he learned how to create spin art, made one, and it's the cover of his album, Divide. So like, if you took a look at that cover, huh. it's actually a spin art that Ed Sheeran made. If, you, if anyone Googles spin art, there are several artists that come up. And back in the 60s and 70s, it became incorporated. Again, that sort of like postmodernism and somewhat abstractionist art. And people incorporated yeah. incorporated spin art as part of their process. So, yeah, it was first introduced. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you say that time frame because it was first introduced in 1958. It was conceived, uh, Eugene Piero was considered the father of spin art. He was on a popular TV show at the time called What's My Line? He did it there, and it was the first time anyone really ever saw spin art. And that one appearance started the spin art craze, like it became a thing suddenly. Then a toy company, Ohio Arts, jumped on this, developed Twirlo Paints, the first spin art toy. That was in the 60s, so now it was sort of just becoming part of the culture. Spin art booths appeared at local fairs, at carnivals, on boardwalks all over the country. Spin art toys still exist all these years later, which is unusual for a toy to remain for so long. Still see spin art booths all around at carnivals and fairs. And yet, in all this time, really nothing has changed, really, in terms of the business, right? No one had thought in terms of a business, of elevating it, of figuring it out, and developing different techniques that let you control the paint, how it interacts with the spinning surface. No one thought to put it on a nicer surface other than these fine artists. No one was doing it as a business to make it accessible to everyone. That's really what I did. I took something that was there that was considered a fine art that people were doing for fun and sort of took that and grew it. I think you opened your business, which is called Casa de Spin. So when did that start? Where is it? And what was that tipping point that said, you know what, I'm passionate about it. I want to open my business. It wasn't one thing. I think it was lots of things that funneled or came together. It was certainly the passion for spin art. It was knowing over years that it was going to work because I incorporated it into so many of my curriculums. You know, I could see Mm -hmm. that people loved it. I could see what they got from it. I could see the results. It 100% was always a hit. Then what happened was, just on my own, I wanted to make giant spin art. So I kind of put together a rudimentary machine in my garage. I made a little studio for myself, and I would be spinning art all the time on canvases. You know, I took like cardboard to to make sure that the art didn't, uh, you know, hit bicycles or anything. <laughs> it was a very simple machine. It was a lot of fun. And then what started to happen is that anytime we had people to the house. They were in the garage with me spinning art. Everybody wanted to see the machine. Everybody wanted to spin some art. And it wasn't just me who was fascinated with it. It was really something I thought that touched everyone. Everybody could make a beautiful piece of art. While this was happening, parallel to this, the boom in the art as entertainment industry was happening. So things like painting with a twist, paint night, Pino's palette, all of these studios that were offering social painting experiences where people could come with friends or on a date, they create paintings together. These are just popping up all over the place. So suddenly you didn't just have a movie and dinner, you know, or whatever it is you were doing. You had this other choice, this creative social experience, which is amazing. And then the light bulb moment happened. Like, this is happening. This is the successful industry. I'm doing this in my garage. I know it's great. I know people love it. So I thought I would sort of piggyback on the trend and add something new to it, spin art, like a new spin on it. And Casa de Spin was born. And what, what year was that? Mm, 
It was 2017. So you opened pre-pandemic. And I bring yeah. this up because I would imagine <laughs> when you create an operation that you're bringing people into a studio and then all of a sudden the pandemic hits, did you have to pivot or change the way you were operating in order to survive? Yeah, it was it was brutal. Now, initially, obviously, you know, we were shut down because we weren't essential, so we had a shutter. And then, you know, as things were opening up again, I wanted to open up again, but people were still scared. Like, it was a tricky time. Even though you maybe could open, it was, it was, people were hesitant. And so what I saw was what people really wanted at the time was to come and have the studio to themselves, to have their pod or their family, their group, which they had felt safe with, they were together with, to come and have the whole place and be able to create spin art and have fun. So that's what I did. I offered this new option and lots of people came. And although the money wasn't the same as, you know, pre-pandemic when it was 20, 25, 30 people at once, we were doing a lot of them. So that helped keep us afloat. And honestly, we're still doing it. It's still a popular option for us. We added it in and people love it. Wow, that's great. I mean, look, you were very fortunate and obviously were skilled enough to realize that you had to make a change and you were able to pull that off. In terms of developing your business and getting started, tell us about some of the pitfalls of, for, and this is advice for any entrepreneur, your advice for a budding entrepreneur that's thinking about starting a business. Give us some ideas of what you'd like them to know based on your experience. Okay. <laughs> so based on my experience of what I did right and what I would do differently, Okay. I would say what I did right is I did my homework. So I knew the industry inside out. I knew what my concept would look like inside of that industry. And I knew that it would stand out. So that would be certainly in my advice, you know, understand the industry and know how you can differentiate yourself within that industry. I think what I would change if I could go back in time is that I would have assembled a team. I thought I could do it all myself. I thought every component of this business I could figure out. And the truth is, I came to know that I had strengths and I had areas that I wasn't as strong in. And I wish I had assembled a team around me sooner to help me over those hurdles. It would have been a much easier path. Mm. You know, even so, and you mentioned, you know, your experience in the industry and understanding it, you're building a unit in your garage and then getting that feedback from people is as important as anything else because now you understand the customer experience and that allowed you then to build out, I would think. I totally agree. I, I completely understood their response to it. I mean, I'll take it a step further. I think all my years of teaching experience really, really helped that. Uh, what I learned in the classroom and I was able to hone in on because I had the opportunity to from all those years is that there's the process and the product, right? And most art classrooms, you know, you're focusing on the process. So you're picking a concept, you're developing a project around that concept, you know, with some skills, and that's how you teach it. And it works, and it, it absolutely works. But the truth is, on top of that, there's the product. Mm. Most people walk into a classroom or an art studio with an I can't attitude. You know, I can't draw a straight line, I'm not creative, I don't know what I'm doing. And if you can create something that will almost ensure a beautiful product, if you can get them there in a wonderful way, you've now given them this creative confidence and they love art they'll come back they want to do it again they want to make more art because they've created something beautiful 
I can't tell you how many times I hear in my studio, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever made. I get photographs of people where their painting is hanging in their living room. You know, not the garage or the laundry room. <laughs> Last time <laughs> paintings go. You know, in their living room. I mean, the art form itself, I was able to figure out to break it down to a teaching method where I break it into four perfectly easy techniques that I demonstrate each time on a big screen. If you're doing all those things, you can get people to a place where they can really make something beautiful. And I'm talking about, you know, from four years old to 104. Let's talk a little bit about how do you advertise your business? You know, a lot of small businesses today rely very heavily on social media. What's Mm -hmm. your technique for getting the word out about your business? Facebook ads. I mean, that's really mostly what I'm doing. And truth is, it's word of mouth. I mean, for me, I have one event and I'll get, you know, three events from that event. Like it just, it kind of builds on itself. So pre-pandemic, I was rolling. Everything was great. I had to rebuild after, of course, you know, to kind of start over. But, you know, I had someone call yesterday. They had their daughter's birthday party and they just called yesterday. They're booking a um, an adult event, you know, because all the parents come in, they want to do it. So it's building on itself. I don't have to do that much advertising. Wow, that's great to hear. You know, you hit upon a concept that we often talk about with people that want to start their own business or people that have some ideas, but really they're either afraid or they're reticent to get things started. And that is mm-hmm. tapping into that creative core. You know, the arts are being assaulted every day when it comes to school budgets and what have you. And a lot of people don't understand the connection of tapping into their creative core and being able to either invent or create or open themselves up to new possibilities, even in their own lives. It is terrible that schools are having less art education, less music education. It it hurts me. Art and science are so closely linked in the brain. And math and music, I mean, there are so many connections. It's such an important component of education that it's necessary. I wouldn't even say it's an extra. It's a necessary component of education. certainly hope that all students have access to art in the classroom or they seek it elsewhere. It's, it's important. So, Sue, um, as a wrap-up question, what one word describes who you are? I would say creative. I love to make things. I'm also a creative thinker. I think outside of the box. I see out of the ordinary connections between things. I'm able to find creative solutions, creatively resourceful. Creative, (laughs) that's the word. Yeah, and I think that's an important aspect. Entrepreneurs are confronted with issues or problems within the business that there's no necessarily playbook or formula for that you sort of have to figure out on the go. And that really does... That's exactly right. Yes. Yes, I completely agree. The business, in my perspective, over the last years, a business is a series of problems to solve. Not necessarily big problems, but situations to resolve, you know, one after the other after the other. That's what it is. It grows, it changes, it moves. And you have to be fast on your feet. You have to be thinking creatively. Okay, well, how can we make this better? How can we fix that? How can I change that? How can I resolve this? The more creative you are, the easier that will be. Yeah, no question about it. We often talk about developing a vision for your business and then the necessity to pivot. And that's where having the ability to recognize that it's time for me to make a change and then you'd have to come uh-huh. up with those creative solutions. So you call it creative yeah. thinking, which I really buy into. You have to have that ability uh, not to think in a linear fashion, but sort of think yeah. outside that straight line. I agree. I do agree. 
you know, the business, when I started it, in my mind, it was lots of adults coming and having a glass of wine. You know, we got our tavern license, spinning art, and I had this vision of it. And it is that, but it's also tons of kids, which I love as an art teacher. In my mind, it was maybe going to be 50-50, but it turned out to be more like, you know, 70-30. And I embraced it and went with it. And then what happens is the more kids events you have, the more adult events you have. The adults come in, they say, can I come and do this? You know, they're like, they're all over it. Yeah, so one feeds the other. I mean, look, the creativity brings the kid out in all of us, right? (laughs) It does. And spin art is fun. It's fun to watch. It's exciting. That's great. So thank you so much for joining us and being part of this, our podcast series. Thank you so much. And again, thank you to New York Tech. Sue's discovery of spin art during a family trip to Florida created a lasting impression. So much so that she made her own large format spin art machine for her home-based studio. She discovered that friends and guests wanted to try it and were enthralled by the experience. In a way, it was like an ad hoc test to see if people would be attracted to spin art, and they were. So in 2019, she used it as the basis for her art as entertainment business. But her initial success was short-lived when the pandemic disrupted her business model and had to close. As businesses started to reopen, she pivoted to be more of an event space reserved for families or COVID pods of friends. These experiences helped her redefine her offering while staying true to her vision. For Sue, as with many startups, she found social media platforms like Facebook and word-of-mouth advertising to be an effective and least-cost way of marketing her services. As she said, A single event might produce two or three bookings, so the new business would build upon itself. Sue is a self-described creative, an important characteristic for any entrepreneur. She can visualize out-of-the-ordinary connections between things, find creative solutions, and be resourceful. Her advice is not to be mired in linear thinking, and instead be creative and look for innovative and non-obvious approaches to problem solving. Thanks to Sue Wilkowski for sharing her experiences and valuable insights. This podcast is executive produced by John Rebecki and New York Institute of Technology in conjunction with the School of Management and the Office of Strategic Communications and External Affairs. The interim dean of the School of Management and producer of this podcast is Deborah Cohn. Our marketing and social media strategist is Petra Shantaraga. And our audio editor and mixer is Brian Falk from Abacus Entertainment. Until next time.